G'day Andy Socialites, this is Ryan Quarrington here. You might remember me from episode 227 and from South Australian band Shatterbrain and Alkira. I'm momentarily commandeering this episode to plug Shatterbrain's debut album, Pitchfork Justice, which is out now via Wormhole Death Records. It's available for streaming wherever you stream your music, or if you're a fan of old school physical, you can pick up a CD or a vinyl along with any other band paraphernalia you can think of via our online store at shatterbrainmetal.com. Thanks for listening, over to you Andy and Larry. Ahoy! Welcome to the Andy Social Podcast, another episode this week. And before we kick into it, you guys know the drill. Patreon, patreon.com slash Andy Dowling is a place to go to support this podcast. It keeps this whole thing a rolling and support starts from only a buck a month. Dirt cheap. There are additional tiers there to get access to exclusive stuff, including exclusive podcast episodes. So come on over to patreon.com slash Andy Dowling. Thank you very much. Episode 235 of the Andy Social Podcast is here in your ear holes. And this week's guest is Rusty Cooley, the world famous guitarist, an amazing, amazing shred demon, in my words. Uh, I'm sure many of you have grown up watching Rusty's instructional videos, um, videos of him shredding all over the internet. An amazing guy, well respected in the. Uh, what, in the, I was going to say the guitarist's world? Um, in the musician's world? Sure. Uh, an amazing uh, musician. And uh, after chatting to him on this podcast, uh, an amazing guy. Really enjoyed chatting to him. Could have kept talking for ages uh, and um, hopefully won't be the last time we get to talk. But uh, go and check him out on the socials. Of course, go to rustycooley.com. Um, his band Day of Reckoning, their latest release that came out in March, I believe, called Spread Your Disease. Total coincidence, uh, but quite funny given uh, what's been going on <laughs> this year. We talk a bit about that in this chat, but uh, an amazing guy, lots of great stories, and I really hope you enjoy it. As always, everything will be in the show notes over at andysocial.net and andydowling.net, so make sure you reach out to him and say hello. But enough yapping from me. Please enjoy this great chat with the amazing Rusty Cooley. Yeah, I mean, and you know, and honestly, I mean, I haven't really been affected by it too much, mm. other than in the beginning when it was uh, hard to go get toilet paper and supplies yeah. at the grocery store and stuff like that. You know, that was the only time I was really affected by it because I practice social distancing. I've been doing that for a long time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I'll, so you know, I don't know. It's just uh, it hasn't been that bad. Uh, we I don't get out much. I stay at home and I teach and play guitar and. So it, I really haven't noticed anything because I don't get out and do all that kind of stuff uh, anymore. You know what I'm saying? Not out the bars all night anymore. That was years ago. But, but um, so I, I don't really notice it, to be honest with you, um, except for it's jammed on every media news station and you know you can possibly find. Yeah, I think um, you know you got to got to pick and choose what you want to pay attention to. And obviously, you know, yeah, I think, um, for you, and that was one of the things I was going to ask is I couldn't imagine, um, not really knowing a lot about you, but obviously, you know, following what you've been doing over the years, um, that you wouldn't have been too, too impacted by this because you've been working remotely and working in, in the way that you have for so many years now. So really, I mean, you know, apart from maybe some minor adjustments, cause I think you still do some stuff in in person with people, but, um, for the most part, yeah. know, a lot of it's sort of online. Yeah. And when it, you know, when the, 
when the first when it first started, you know, um, that first month or so, I was definitely impacted by it because people were all kind of, you know, freaking out, trying to figure out what they're going to do. Some people were losing their jobs and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I lost a few students and I was starting to sweat it a little bit. And then, you know, you know, miraculously, things have actually picked up and then and then some for me. So knock on wood, you know, um, I'm hoping that it stays that way. Um, and I, I, I was teaching at a, um, a music school one day a week and I, then I had, you know, several students that would come to my home studio for lessons. And then when all that stuff went into play, everybody went online for Skype. So, you know, you know, thank God for technology today because all the kids are doing Skype or Zoom anyway for their schools. So they're already set up to do it, um, for guitar lessons if necessary. So, so it's worked out, um, to be, you know, okay. You know what I mean? Um, it could be worse. That's for sure. Oh man, absolutely. I think I'd hate to think what it would have been like even five years ago had this all happened. Then. Oh yeah. Because, oh, yeah. um, yeah. Oh. I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine it, uh, what, what I would have done if it would have been back when I was teaching exclusively at a music school, mm. because that would have been, you know, you know, the technology. I mean, I've been teaching Skype for a long time, but it still wasn't really there and I didn't do it a whole lot back then, but you know, I did more in person, but now it's all switched around and it kind of works out pretty good, man. Once you get the hang of how, to, how everything works online and stuff, it, you know, it's, it's pretty good. I mean, it certainly has some limitations due to the fact that you only got one camera angle and stuff like that. And it's, it's kind of hard to get super precise when I'm trying to watch somebody's technique or something like that to, you know, to help them out with certain things. But, um, but so far, nope, you know, it's all, all pretty good in that, you know, arena. I don't think it'll take long before the technology gets to a gets to a point where you can feed multiple cameras through and do all that because I think just in the last few yeah. months I mean I, I just watching you know even Zoom just updating their technology so quickly just out of necessity because of what's going on in the world and no doubt you know Skype and a number of these other platforms are, are just looking at it going what can we do you know because there'll be different mm -hmm. needs for for these platforms now I mean I just look at look at corporations suddenly having no one working in the office block anymore and they're all working from home and suddenly it's just like diving into this world where people could barely turn on a computer to begin with and now they've got to work out uh, video streaming and you know, right. these multi-conference uh, sort of video teleconferences and all that sort of stuff. And um, I think, I mean, it's been a massive exponential increase in technology over the past few years anyway, but I think now sure. it's just, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next few months, let alone years. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, I like the uh, the possibilities of the of the technology in the respect that you know you can have things now. I know via Zoom you can have if you have a, a subscription for a small fee like twelve or 15, fifteen bucks a month, you can have a ton of people online at once. So I could potentially do group lessons or music clinics or guitar performances um, all from home. You know, um, and that would be pretty pretty cool for sure. Oh man, I mean, just just opens up the possibilities, doesn't it? I mean, it really. Yeah. And I think, especially, I think I read, I was doing a little bit of uh, looking around on online, just uh, some old interviews that you've done over the years, and I think there's one where you just mentioned about sort of the ability of being able to work from home, but working in, you know, you're not living in a really sort of, you know, you're not living in an LA or a New York or anything like that. I mean, you're, right. you're living in a preferred area. And because of the mm -hmm. internet and because of that connectivity, you can you can live where you want to live rather than where you have yes. to live. And I think that's just super right. cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, technology has definitely changed that spectrum of the music industry. 
you know, and that's that's a good thing because there's a lot of people that, you know, can't just get up and move and go to L.A. or New York, you know, which was the thing to do in the day. You know, that was the only place to go if you wanted it at any shot at, you know, making it a career, a career out of it. But, you know, with the Internet, you know, you can be anywhere and develop a following and uh, and actually make some good money if you do it right with your YouTube channel and be post enough videos and, you know, do something, you know, that keeps people's interest, you know, um, you can make some revenue off that for sure. Did, so, did you ever, did you ever, oh, sorry, let me reword this. Um, did you ever think that this would be the path that you take sort of not so much with the technology aspect, but I guess sort of working in that independent solo capacity rather than working, you know, traditionally as a musician in a band and, and touring and performing. Cause you've done bits of that over the years, but You've, mm-hmm. you've really lent heavy into into this independence um, and creating your own your own profile as a as an independent artist, but also a teacher and and all this sort of stuff. Is that was that always sort of the plan that you go in that direction eventually? No, it wasn't. Um, when I was years ago, when I was a lot younger in, in the early days, I used to kind of, you know, I used to think about teaching as well. This is what I'm going to do until I quote make it. You mm-hmm. know, I always kind of thought it look down and now I don't don't get me wrong I always have loved to teach but I always thought it made me not as um, I don't know not as respected if I was just teaching guitar and and what changed my mind um, was when I was talking to a friend of mine that was uh, doing a guest or co-wrote a song with a friend of mine a keyboard player I don't want to mention any names but um, he he called me on the phone one day and he's, and he's like He's like, dude, man, I got to take off for a month. I got to go do this crappy tour um, to pay the bills. And it was a huge pop star. Mm. Okay. And and he doesn't, he didn't like doing the gigs, but he had to do it to make the money to pay the bills. Right. And at that moment I went, aha, this is making sense to me because at the time my kids were small and, uh, you know, I was married at the time and had the whole family thing going on and stuff like that. And, and touring for me wasn't really a big option at the moment. And, uh, you know, that's when I really made the realization that, wow, this is cool because now, because of what I'm doing, you know, I'm teaching a full run of students. I was teaching like 65 students a week, um, making really good money. And, I, and, and that moment was just like an aha moment because then I totally just rethought the whole thing. And I kind of know I'm kind of rambling right now, but it was that moment that, that I thought that, okay, this makes sense for me because now I can do the music that I want to do no matter what and still make a living teaching and not have to take gigs that I don't want to take because I have to pay the bills. You know, I've never pay- played in a cover band. Matter of fact, I maybe only know how to, I couldn't even play a whole song by somebody else all the way through right now. <laughs> you know, I've learned a couple of things with students and stuff like that, but I've never really been um, into that. So I could have never done cover gigs, um, you know, and, and this is cool because I just, play the music that I choose to play and, uh, and spend my time doing that and teaching. And, um, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. Now, granted, if, um, this whole COVID-19 bull crap wouldn't have started, Dave Reckoning was getting ready to go out full force. We had some touring set up and we've got, uh, working with Artery Global Booking Agency. And, um, you know, we were setting up some small things first and then to test the waters and then we were going to, you know, eventually be going out for, you know, doing it, you know, all over. You know, hopefully going all around the world and all that kind of stuff and you know, across the U.S. and things like that. So that was the plan, um, but 
everything's been shelved for now. I think we've had a couple of gigs like at the end of July and early August, but just like some Texas stuff. Um, you know, just kind of see how it goes. I mean, after this whole, you know, it's like everything's on lockdown again, it seems like. Um, as of today, well, I mean, not lockdown. I mean, nobody's like, nobody's quarantined in their homes, but but it's like they're they making everybody shut the bars down and stuff like that. And, you know, no socially hanging out and stuff. But so, I mean, you know, if that stuff happens, then there's no place to play. You know, I can't imagine being a touring musician and, and relying on that as my sole income uh, in, in what's with what's going on now. That would be pretty rough. And considering not only the musicians, but all the roadies and techs and stuff like that, that rely on their artists to be out touring to make their money as well. It's a chain reaction, so, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. You know, sure. I'm watching. Um, it's it's been fascinating because I've, I'm certainly one of the lucky ones from my side. I've been able to sort of just continue to cruise and and do what I do from my from my end and and from a band perspective. Mm-hmm. Our our band wasn't meant to be, really be playing until later this year, but it wasn't all locked mm-hmm. in. And obviously, right. I think that'll be a 2021 at some stage uh, plan yeah. now. But um, you know, it's been interesting watching a lot of peers and friends have to adjust um, dramatically to mm-hmm. what's been going on. And and some of the more positive stories where people are really getting creative and developing new mm-hmm. skills to, to try and find yep. other ways to generate income, keep the branding out yeah. there. Um, and it's been, it's been kind of inspiring to see some of that stuff happen. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's like that whole, you know, through adversity, you, 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 yeah. um, you come out the other end uh, stronger and, and better than ever before. So yeah, it's um, definitely, definitely a testing time, but it's, um, yeah, very, very interesting to be yeah. to be watching. You know, that. I, I I would agree totally. I mean, there's a blessing and a curse and everything, mm. and obviously we know what the curse of this is. But the blessing is that we're going to come out of this a whole lot more creative and and maybe stumble onto some things that we might not have ever stumbled upon um, because of this. You know, having to s- uh, seek out other ways to be resourceful and creative and and whatnot. So I think there's going to be a you know a lot of good that comes out of it as well. You know. Hopefully it'll bring everyone together and a whole, whole, whole lot more instead of separating everybody. You know what I mean? Uh, even though everybody's on, you know, social distancing or whatever, but I think just as a human race, hopefully it'll make everybody tighter and not more distanced. You know, you can only hope. Fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Was it a coincidence with the uh, with the EP title and given what's uh, what's been going on in the world? Oh yeah, totally. That t- EP title was like set with, we had that like over a year ago and it's just like luck of the draw, you know what I mean? Um, you know, perfectly timed, I suppose, <laughs> imperfectly perfect, you know? Yeah. So. I had a feeling that it was probably a coincidence given, um, I came out in March, didn't it? And I figured, well, you, yeah. you haven't, you didn't write the song a week earlier or anything like that. So, or the, exactly. or the EP, I should say. So yeah. I didn't hurt to change the album cover and all that shit. You know? so, <laughs> Quick, let's capitalize yeah, that. Yeah, that was really coincidental. And, and, you know, and I, we haven't gotten any any grief over it. So, you know, that's good. You know, I mean, I think if people are, you know, step back and take a look at it. But a lot of people that, that don't know what it's like to be a working musician don't realize things that go into it and how long you plan and work at things. You know, a lot of people might just assume that, oh, yeah, they just changed the title now and whatever. But who knows? I don't know what everybody's thinking, man. Try not to worry about it either. No, so. I think you, you you stay in your lane and just do your own thing and yeah, make the most of make the most of uh, what you have at your own fingertips. Not worry about uh, all the noise. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. You can't consume yourself with that, or it's just going to eat you up. For sure. One thing that I noticed with the with the EP, I was quite surprised, and then when I dug a bit deeper, I think I I think I've worked out the connection. But um, I was surprised to see uh, Carl Sanders um, on or contributing to um, one of the tracks on on the EP. And I'm like, oh, that's a really cool connection with with Nile. But then I think I'm pretty sure you've worked with George in the past. Um, yeah, I mean, I met George through Carl. Me and Carl have been friends for quite some time. Um, a student of mine years ago, uh, around the time the Ithyphallic CD came out by Niall, told me that, hey, man, Carl Sanders is a big fan of yours. He gave you thanks and the credits on the new album. Um, so I, once I heard that, I, tr- I think I tried to reach out, or Carl had heard through the grapevine that I heard about it or something like that. I can't remember how we finally connected, but um, uh, we, we started talking on the phone and just talking guitar stuff, and we've been friends ever since. Um, We've done a lot of lessons and stuff like that. And, um, of course I met George from, from Carl, um, obviously. And, um, yeah, I was on George's solo album, but, uh, yeah, Carl, I mean, we're good friends. We were just hanging out the other night on Skype, you know, um, talking about some things, playing guitar, but, uh, you know, great guys for sure. Um, but yeah, so as far as the song goes, um, we, we had this interesting, the solo section was, was written and, you know, I was talking to my singer about it and, you know, and I know Carl plays a couple of other instruments and I'm not even going to try to pronounce the names of them, <laughs> but, but, you know, I said, Hey dude, do you want to play on this? I'll send you the tabs for it. But what I didn't, didn't realize was that the instrument he's playing on doesn't have the same strings or tune mm-hmm. anything like it. So he had to basically write the part to what I had written for the solo section. And you can hear both parts. The original guitar part is still in the track along with what he wrote over it. And then, you know, I rewrote the entire first half of the solo just because of what he played. It was so much more inspiring to have that vibe, you know, going on. And we, we actually used part of that as the intro for the song as well. So uh, I really dig that sound, you know. He's got such an eclectic so, way oh, yeah. of looking at music. Like he's just, he's, yeah. what he does is just. Oh yeah. You, you can't, yeah. You, you can't predict what he's going to, what he's going to do next or what he gets involved with. And it's just so yeah. out there. Yeah. For, for sure, man, for sure. He's a good guy and very creative. With, um, I mean, this seems to be one of many examples over the years where you've built this network of, of so many different people in the music industry, like, you know, obviously going off and, and doing your own solo work, but collaborating with other other artists, whether it be guest appearances or working together on a project and, and obviously with uh, Day of Reckoning as well, um, is more what appears to be more of a, a traditional band kind of concept um, that's been put together and it's been up, up and running for a few years now. But has that always been sort of big thing to you or something that you're aware of even in the early days as far as the importance of, of building those networks of people or is it just something that's sort well, of naturally... Well, it's just, it's just kind of something that happens, but I mean... You know, backing up to a little bit to the band scenario, um, you know, talking about the technology of the Internet and all that stuff. See, I've always been a band player. I never set out to be an instrumental guitar player. It, but it just so happens that just like Spread Your Disease coincided with what's going on now, me releasing an instrumental album coincided with the Internet taking off. So that mm. was what the first thing the world heard of me outside of Houston so everybody thought of me as this instrumental guitar player where I was just taking a break from a, a band that I was in. Um, and then after the instrumental album was done and released, I started uh, a new band with uh, Kelly um, Carpenter, who was the singer in Outworld, um, which that was the band that I started after the instrumental album. And, uh, you know, so I've always intended to be a band player, 
you know, I'm not an instrumental guitar player. I mean, I like playing instrumental stuff, don't get me wrong. It was, it's, it's definitely very cool. Um, but I always like the, uh, just being in a band environment, camaraderie and, and everybody working together. You know what I mean? Everybody has their part, you know, we, we all do our own things. I bring all the riffs to the band. We arrange the songs, um, as a band and then everybody writes their own parts. You know, I don't tell anybody else what to play. I mean, we could get our heads together and work out things that, you know, maybe, you know, try this or try that, but we don't, we don't step on anybody's toes um, and tell each other what to do or anything like that. So it's, everybody knows their part and it makes, it works out really well because everybody gets to do their own thing, you know? And it's like, when I bring that, bring a song in, it's never a complete song. It's all the parts that will make up the song. I might have a rough outline, but we all arrange it together. And, uh, make it what it, you know, as a band, we produce the end result, you know, so that's cool. But uh, as far as the networking thing goes, it's just, I've just intuitively have done that, you know, um, I don't know, you know, where I, I don't know how that started. It's just, it just happened. You know, I knew because when I first started sending out demos and things like that, it was before the internet you know, so it was right at the beginning of the internet. I didn't even have a website or I didn't even, I don't even think I had a computer then. I was going to the post office two or three times a week, mailing out cassettes at the time, you know, and CDs. And my kid was, my son was only, you know, was like two or three. And I was going to the post office with him, you know, um, a couple of times a week and, you know, just mailing stuff out. But I mean, I was the guy that I would go through like Guitar Player Magazine or Guitar World and I would search through it and try to find somebody's phone, the f- phone number for somebody at the magazine that I could call. Um, things like that. And uh, I think one of my first exposures uh, in a magazine was I was on a compilation CD called Guitar Palooza, And I think it got some exposure in guitar. I think it was Guitar One magazine, which is no longer in existence. Uh, but they mentioned me in there for being on that CD. And then a couple of other small things came up. Um, I released Shred Guitar Manifesto, my first instructional product. Mm. And that got a cool review in Guitar Player, which led to me eventually getting my own column in Guitar Player magazine. And and I uh, got my foot in the door at Guitar One. That's when I, uh, I I met this guy that works at the magazine. His name is Chris O'Byrne. And I started sending him stuff. And I sent him my album. I just finished my instrumental album. And I sent it to him. And uh, I called him up to see if he had a chance to listen to it. And he's like, he goes, no, I'm, I'm going to get to it this week. But go pick up the new issue of Guitar One. You know, uh, there's you're in this little column about the fast guitar players or something like that. And I was like, all right, cool, whatever. <laughs> I go to the store and it's like the top 10 fastest shredders of all time. Some shit like that. And, uh, like man i just couldn't believe it at the time it was like uh, just about every guitar player on that list i had you know had been an influence of mine um there was a couple that weren't but uh just to be on that list anywhere was a, a total uh, complete honor it was cool so it was just that kind of stuff you know led to me meeting other guitar players back in the day we didn't have social media it was websites so it was all all about swapping links and trading links with people you know what i mean to build up your following and uh, i pretty much would find every online guitar webzine or whatever they called them back then just send my demo to to possibly get a review or an interview or do a column for or whatever you know just to you know it's one of those things where you you're, i'm just banging on everybody's door um screaming listen to me you know <laughs> uh, just to get to get your foot in the door you know there's no other way to do it you know you can't wait for it to come to you you have to go take it um music is kind of like a, a freight train coming down tracks and it's like man either get out of the way or get on and run with it you know, because it's not going to move for you. I definitely, it definitely, I get that vibe that you've always sort of been a very sort of proactive person as far as looking for it or searching for it or creating the opportunity rather than, 
I think with a lot of musicians, their faults lie in, <clears throat> pardon me, um, lie in sort of sitting back and, and waiting for the, the opportunities to come knocking on their door, um, thinking yeah. that the, the rock stardom's just, uh, just, you know, one phone call away or something like that, where it's, no, there's, yeah. there's a, there's a, there's a real life grind that's attached to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, it's like, it's nonstop. I could literally work 24, seven, 365 if I didn't have to sleep because hmm. there's always something to be done between, yep. you know, writing, recording, composing, teaching, promotion, all that stuff, you know, gigging. It's just, there's something to be done all day, every day, you know, it's just not enough time in the day. And it's like the dilemma I'm in right now, as far as guitar playing goes, is that I teach so much from home in my home studio that by the time I get done teaching, it's like, man, I got to get out of this room, <laughs> you know? And then I end up not practicing because I've been teaching for so long and then, you know, it's, uh, it's crazy. So I set up in my other, I got another room uh, right next to the home studio and it's uh, got my some arcade machines in there and uh, well, my little home gym and stuff like that. So I threw an extra rig in there set up so that I could kind of go in there and play and not associate it with work. Hmm. You know, even though work is not really work in, the, in that perspective, you know what I mean? Because I'm playing guitar. You know, I mean, I, I feel very blessed to be able to do this. Um, so it's, you know, when you find something you love and you can make it living at it, that's pretty awesome. But, you know, at some point, you know, it's, it's still work. Yeah. As much as you love it. So you got, I got to get out of this room. So, and then I have to go, I'll, I'll try to go in there and practice, you know, just to give myself a breather, you know. So it's another one of those blessings, uh, you know, the blessing and curse and everything, you know. So it's two sides to everything. Oh, definitely. And I think, I think, um, no matter how much you enjoy your job or, or your work or whatever that might be, comprise of, I think there's once, once it becomes work, um, and especially if it's, it's a reliable, um, it's a relied on, uh, stream of revenue, then it, it can be exhausting. And, uh, especially from a mental point of view, um, just to ensure that, you know, you've, you've got to keep that flowing and keep that going. It's not just because you want, like you, you feel like doing it, it's because you kind of need to do it. Like it's, Absolutely. it's your livelihood. Yeah. So you need to it's, get that separation. I, yeah. It's my survival for real. Um, you know, but it's, uh, it's still a cool thing. I mean, you can ask any of my students. It's like most of the time my students will go, Hey, you know, we're over time, right? And it's like, Oh yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. Whatever. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I get, uh, I love to do it and get so into it that it's just like, you know, I, I'll lose track of time. Um, you know, and if I like a lot of times if my last student, whoever that might be in the night, we end up going like way over time, you know, just because we're having a good time, you know? Um, so it's pretty cool. It's, uh, it's good to have that, uh, in your work, you know? One of the things that you said earlier, um, sort of, we're talking about the networking and slowly building up these connections and especially in guitar player. And you had that, you were in that list, that top 10, you know, fastest guitarists or shredders of all time <laughs> list. Um, one of the things that I remember growing up and sort of being part of that generation that had life before the internet and then life with the internet, I can sort of remember both sides, but right at the early stages of me sort of coming on online, I remember the old, um, I'm going to get this wrong, but the old real-time videos, um, really shitty sort of low-fi low video clips that would uh, fly around the internet when everyone had dial-up uh, connections. And oh, yeah. I remember a video clip, and, I, and I'm pretty sure – I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that you titled the video this, but it, it got retitled. And it was something like, fastest guitar player in the world or fastest guitar player of all time, no name. 
nothing whatsoever. Mm. And it was just this very lo-fi video of you sitting there with the guitar and just doing like the, the fastest at the time for me, which would have been, I don't know, mid mid teens or something like that, looking at this video and just not understanding what the hell I was watching, just going, Oh my God. And, yeah. and super fun and super cool. And so whenever your name popped up again over the years, I always remembered this video it used to get passed around like a little viral video. Did, right. Is that, does that ring a bell with you as far as sort of, those you know, dude, I have videos? no idea what that video is. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, cause you know, cause anytime that I did a, anything with video, hmm. It was, I had to shoot the video and then give it to somebody else to do, to make it compatible with the computer and the internet, because I had no idea how to do any of that stuff. Yeah. You know, so I don't know what it was. Maybe somebody got something to me alive. I know there was some video clips of when I played at Gym Fest um, in Florida. Um, I headlined that like 2000 or 2001. It was, mm. uh, it was a, uh, it was called Jim Fest, about you know regarding Jim guitars by Ibanez, mm. but it was a tr- it was a charity, and all the proceeds went to Steve Vai's Make a Noise Foundation or whatever. Uh, I think that's what it's called. But anyway, there was some clips of me at Soundcheck just warming up that somebody else had shot, and uh, those ended up on the internet. But I'm, I'm I th- if anything, that might be one of those. Was I? Do you remember what kind of guitar I was playing? Oh, was it no. the Jackson? Oh, I cannot recall. I remember. I remember the color of the guitar was um. Oh, I could be way off here because I'm trying to reflect on sort of what was, you know, now right. 25 years, well, not 25 years ago, but 20 odd years ago. Um, yeah. Almost like a, like an orange, an orange or yellow, maybe. I don't know. I, I think what off. you're thinking of is that I had a Jackson guitar, seven string that was uh, custom made for me because I was endorsing Jackson at the time. Mm. That was the, the guitar that was on my album cover. So it was a natural finish with just a gunstock oil on it. So it kind of, I could see where it could look orangish or yellow. Uh, yellowish so that's probably the video yeah and mind you the, the quality of the video was pretty poor i just remember <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm sure it was especially if it was on dial-up oh yeah absolutely yeah man God, i had dial-up forever that's the worst eventually it's going to get hey, to the you get off the computer i gotta get on to make a phone call yeah you know? yeah that's right yeah i mean the things that you tell your kids these days like you're, you you know you've got uh like this amazing fast internet uh speeds that you you just used to now in everyday life and it's like well when we were growing up we had the dial-up you know it's it's yeah. it's the equivalent of uh, when yeah. i had to walk to school in the snow in right. bare feet you know yeah well i i've got a good one too i was just joking around with my girlfriend the other day and i said yeah I'm so old. My contacts used to be made out of wood. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so love it, love it. Um, I think yeah. with with the shredding thing, was that something that you embraced as a as a musician well, and and your I guess I mean it's it's so wanky to say, but like your branding around what people thought of you as. Well, that's been uh, again a blessing and a curse. But here's the thing: I never set out to be the fastest guitar player or anything like that. All I ever wanted to be was just as fast as my guitar heroes. It's just the problem was they just kept getting faster. <laughs> um, you know, so I never really thought about, you know, the word shred back then was only associated with the setting on a blender. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there was shred wasn't even a thing then, you know, mm. um, when I started playing seven string guitar was when I kind of reprogrammed and reinvented myself as a guitar player. Um, because up to that point, I was playing six-string guitar. I was in a rock band that was kind of like Skid Row meets Racer X or something mm. like that. And uh, I was just, you know, I had all the top shred shops of the time, you know, just alternate, you know, fast alternate picking. I had, you know, three note string legato, you know, tapping, sweeping. I had all that stuff down, but it wasn't what I, be- you know, t- turned into and became. 
um, you know, not even close, but um, that that's when I kind of reinvented myself and just said, all right, I mean, this is why I quit the local band. And I said, all right, I'm going to do an instrumental album and I'm going to get my seven string and just, you know, just, you know, the album was really more of an experimentation to see how far I could push myself. I wanted to write the most intense instrumental record I ever heard. That was my goal. It wasn't one, you know, that you could sing and dance to, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, so yes, in a way, yeah, I was playing intense like that, but I wasn't thinking about it so much as a marketing or a branding or, or even a shredding, so to speak. You know what I mean? It was just something I wanted to do. You know, I was trying to recreate the feeling that I had when I, you know, heard like Malmsteen for the first time or Paul Gilbert, that just sheer amazement when you hear somebody that just blows your mind. You know, I wanted to try to recreate that in, in the, and the people that listen to my CD, um, that, that feeling that I got when I heard those guys, man, I mean, first time I heard Malmsteen, I was just, you know, it was that live, or not live, but it was that unaccompanied solo on the Steeler album. I don't know if you're familiar oh, yeah, with that. Yeah. I mean, that just blew my mind because up to that point, I was a huge Randy Rhodes guy. It was like Randy Rhodes die. And that's why I started teaching because of my Randy Rhodes influence. Um, but when I heard the Steeler thing with Ingbe, it was just like, Oh man, this dude's just like way ahead of everybody else, you know. And then of course, you know, uh, and there was Sean Lane and Holdsworth, and you know, there's a whole lot of influences, man. I got influences from every style of music you can think of, just about. But you know, that's what keeps me keeps me going. You know, I think that's what you know just helps me be creative and a little bit more original. You know, because I do listen to all kinds of things from jazz, blues, funk, classical country, you know, whatever, um, you know, so, but I, I know what I want to do as a musician and then I channel that into that, which creates a different outcome. Whereas I always tell my students, if you dude, if you just listen to metal, what do you think you're going to sound like? You're just going to regurgitate. Metal. You've got to go outside that realm and bring in some influences from some other areas. You can still play metal or whatever you want to play, but bring in some influences from some other styles and sounds and other instruments. You know, I'm a huge violin fan and piano fan. I listen to those instruments a lot. Bass, guitar, I'm a huge fan of bass players. And so I draw inspiration from those instruments as well as just listening to, you know, the human voice to study it for vibrato. Because mm-hmm. that's what vibrato on guitar came from. It came from yeah, a guitar player trying to mimic uh, somebody singing, you know. So I'll spend time listening to singers, um, you know. Maybe may somebody like Adele, you know listen to her for her vibrato, um, try to mimic that, you know, it's a good source of inspiration. You can definitely go down a rabbit hole, can't you? I mean, if, if, even if you just looked yeah. at guitarists alone and, you know, starting off, you know, especially if you, you first into metal and hard rock, and then you sort of go from there. I mean, you know, you can, mm-hmm. you can go down a rabbit hole really quickly as far as, you know, the, the varying styles and, and ways of, of playing just that one instrument, let alone just going completely outside of the realm of guitar and just looking at everything else. So it yeah, no doubt make absolutely. you more, more well-rounded. Yeah. And I think the, the thing that still blows my mind is if you think about this, you know, you know, the earth, you know, the planet that we live on as a whole, we all use the same 12 tones. Mm. And, and even, even if you want to bring in Indian music where they bring in the quarter steps and stuff like that, which I mean, you know, any unfretted instrument has quarter steps on it. So it's not just specific to Indian music, you know, but, you know, basically we're all using the same 12 tones, everybody on the planet. And we, there's that much diversity in, in, in the styles of music. You know, the people that play polka use the same notes that people that are playing death metal or classical or funk or fusion or 
whatever. We're all using the same notes, but it's so different, you know, and that's the beauty of it, really, I think. I've certainly been stumped when I've picked up a guitar and I've sort of looked down at the at the fretboard and just thought, like, what's new here? Like, where where do I where do I place my hand to create something new? Like, because you you like I'm I'm talking to a, a guy who lives and breathes this, but you know, from a pattern recognition point of view, you get stuck into old ways of of playing in the same kind of runs and the same scales, and you look down and you just think, well, there's only so many so many notes here. How how original or how creative can I get? But um. As you just explained, so I mean, there's there's so yeah, many different directions to go. There is, a, and there's something I used to have to remind me, myself of, is that, you know, what's difficult for, I think, any musician is having the, being bold enough to go somewhere that they don't know what the outcome is going to be. If you listen to your favorite guitar players and you cop their legs, you know what it's going to, the outcome is going to be. But if you've never, if you develop, start developing your own sound and style, you don't know what that's going to turn out to be like. You know, you might spend six months or a year developing, working on this technique, and then to go, oh, well, this was a waste of time. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you have to be bold enough and willing to go somewhere that you know that you know. I don't want to say that nobody's ever nobody's ever gone before because I think we've somebody's been there already. You know, ultimately, um, but but still, just just having the dedication and commitment to follow through on your own musical ideas that you're creating. And not, you know, mimicking your your heroes and idols and things like that. You know, um, that's been the biggest thing that I had to remind myself of. It's like I find myself working on some Sean Lane stuff or some Holdsworth thing or something like that, and I have to go, no, dude, you need to stop practicing this stuff and get back to your own creative musical ideas. Mm. That was always something. I mean, it wasn't like you know, every day, but I, it was. I, I remember that uh, very well. Um, and I like to teach that as well. It's like, you know, follow through on your on your own ideas. You, everybody has them. Just start going for it. Look at the fretboard and try to think of things and look at things in different ways. And I mean, I would spend time just looking at, like, say we're in the whatever, harmonic minor or whatever. I would have a map of the uh, entire guitar neck, 24 frets, with every location of the seven notes and the, whatever key I was looking at. And I would just spend time just eye matrixing the fretboard looking for patterns and shapes and things to, to, and ways to approach the fretboard, you know, which led to the whole fretboard visualization and, and the fretboard autopsy series, which mm. is, you know, it's how, you know, to develop fretboard visualization, you have to dissect the fretboard in so many different directions that you're kind of reverse engineering it. You're putting it back together once you, you know, you're disassembling it and then figuring out how to put it back together and make the whole again, you know. Because you know, it's, it's like looking buying a puzzle and looking at the picture on the outside of the box and then taking the lid off and looking at thousands of pieces in there going, how the hell am I ever going to make that look like the picture on the outside of the box? You know, um, that's kind of how the guitar neck is. You know what I mean? It's like it's thousands of pieces, if not more. You know, the, there's so many ways you can slice it up. Um, I'm not even sure that we've done that as a human race yet. Um, all the possibilities. Do you think that's where a lot of burnout comes from, from people who are getting into guitar for the first time and wanting to, you know, like most of us, we start off trying to mimic our influences and the, and the music that we like, but not taking that next step to get away from that and start to create your own, what you actually want to yeah. do as an individual. Do you think that's where a lot of burnout comes in? Sure. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, yeah, that's very valid. Um, the, the, the answer to that really is, for anybody that might be going through burnout, because we all do that we from time to time, but 
if you keep learning, as long as you keep learning, you usually won't burn out. I find that when I reach that burnout or just feel like, oh, everything I'm playing is the same or whatever and I'm tired of it, that's when I've stopped learning something new. Mm. As long as you keep learning, you always have a new source of inspiration and a new outlet and a new direction that you can go with the tonality. You know, sometimes for me, all it takes is learning one new chord or one new scale or even, you know, not something on the guitar like buying a new CD or hearing a new song by somebody, you know, or learning learning a new lick or something out of a book um, or something, you know. Uh, that's sometimes that's all it, all it takes, you know, as long as you keep learning and have a source of inspiration You'll always have something you want to pick up and try on the guitar now You do have to continue to practice. You know what I mean? You know, you're not just gonna start coming up with great things uh, But just by being inspired you have to put the time and work in because that's you know, that doesn't come easy That's not free Inspiration's free um, But the rest is all 100% perspiration do you find that, I mean, you've, you've taught so many people over the years and no doubt different age groups, different levels of uh, proficiency. And I know there's been some, some more sort of well-established players that, that have approached you as well. And you've, you've helped them. Do you, mm -hmm. what types of things are you, are you sort of looking at? I mean, obviously from a beginner point of view, you really just, you're starting from, from nothing and building them up and giving them foundations. But you know, when you've got somebody coming to you who, um, already has a profile, they're proficient um, in, in what they do. Um, are, are those conversations and those those uh, get-togethers with those types of players, are they more around focusing on a particular technique or is it more of a philosophy and a mindset around it or looking at it from a fresh perspective? I, and, I think know? it's all of those things, really. Mm. Um, a lot of times guitar players will, will, will come to me specifically for techniques. You know, they'll, they'll say, well, how do you do this or how do you do this or what's going on with this? And you know, I'm really good at looking at people's form, um, how they're holding their hands, um, you know, things like that to, you know, simple adjustments. You know, I always say, and I know you can't see this, but it's like if you take your index finger and put it right up to your thumb and just barely have a gap between it, mm. that's how far we're always away from what we want, usually. Mm. You know what I mean? We're always that really close, but a small, small adjustment, a small tweak of something, your hand, your wrist, uh, your arch and your fingers, uh, where, how high or low you play your guitar, you know, it's those small details when you get to that level of guitar playing can make all the difference in the world. And even for uh, something as, as simple as a, a beginner, you know, just, you know, making sure that a beginner's holding his guitar properly or her, um, you know, but that makes all the difference in the world. And when you don't know, you don't know, mm. you know what I mean? And, you know, you get, it's like, you know, it's tough, man, being a beginner, because you know, if you don't have anybody to talk to or ask about things, you could buy a guitar that plays awful with, you know, the action could be a foot off the fretboard, right? And you just think the guitar is that damn hard to play because you don't know that there's such a thing as high or low action, you know? Um, so that's, that's, that's tough, too, because that's, that was me. You know, I didn't know. I didn't, I had some friends that played guitar, but um, I didn't really know anybody that was good, you know, so it could give me any kind of solid advice. And I, you know, I'm self-educated. You know, I tried taking guitar lessons, but, you know, I wasn't hip into uh, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and open chords <laughs> when I was 15. You know? So that didn't work out very well. But, you know, I, you know, having somebody look to you now, kids have it easy today because there's the Internet. Mm. You can turn on the Internet, get on the computer any day of the week and look up your favorite guitar player or anybody and and have your questions answered. Now, again, what you don't know, you don't know. Right. So. A lot of guitar players will see a guitar player that's better than them and assume what they're doing is correct. I can't tell you how many times 
I've had students come to me that tried to teach themselves off the internet and what they had at the time that they spent, they developed so many bad habits just because you don't know, you know, you see somebody's better than you, you think they're doing it right. So what I advise any young student or guitar player is do your research, make sure that whoever you're trying to learn from off the internet, if you're just watching videos on YouTube or whatever, make sure that you know that they're a legitimately good guitar player and it's not little Timmy next door playing smoke on the water or something, you know, <laughs> you because know, you need to do the research because if you spend time with somebody that's just, a, you know, a few pages ahead of you in the book, you know, <laughs> so to speak, uh, you're going to develop a lot of bad habits. I've spent, you know, there's been times where I'd have to spend six months to a year correcting uh, people's online uh, learning mistakes, you know, because there's a lot of people out there that should not be teaching and have no business to teach. But, you know, it, you know it's going to happen. So what can you do? Have you seen that with um, with established players as well, where they've come to you and you notice technique issues as well, like sure. even, even yeah. though they've, they've built a career on it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. For sure. I mean, it's just it's little simple things. I'll point out, hey, did you, you realize you're doing that or this or that? And it's like, oh, wow, I didn't even know I was doing that. Because th that's the beauty of being a teacher. You learn to look for things and you analyze everything that you do. But when you, you can become a great guitar player, obviously, because there's millions of them or whatever, hundreds of them, thousands, whatever the number might be. But um, guys that don't teach or people that don't teach don't analyze their playing like that usually. Mm. You know what I mean? So they don't, you know, they, you just practice and you get good at doing whatever you're doing and you don't really spend too much time on analysis. Um, so things like that can slip by you. Um, and then sometimes, you know, what I think is not always correct as well. Like I might, I had a conversation with one of my students one day and we were talking about the thumb. And it's like, do you know, a big stickler on where your thumb's at? Dude, your thumb's got to be behind the neck. You know, if you're playing open position chords or bending or vibrato, you know, that's the thumb over the top of the neck because that... You know, vibrato and bending is a hand strength, not mm. finger and joint strength. You know, so my rule is usually, you know, unless you're playing an open position chord or a power chord or bending or vibratoing, your thumb needs to be behind the neck because you need that back there so that you can stretch to whatever it is that you might need to do comfortably. The higher your thumb goes, meaning towards the ceiling, the shorter your reach becomes. The closer you bring your thumb to the high E string, the wider you can reach. Right. So so I was talking to my one of my students one day. and He's like, yeah, you know, it's like, well. Dude, Jason Becker plays with his thumb over the neck like that. And I was like, dude, there's no way Becker plays with his thumb over the neck like that. So we pulled up YouTube. Sure enough, Jason was playing all this crazy stuff, as he does. Uh, and his thumb was all over the neck. And it's like, man, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so so it, it, and the point to that is really that, you know, people can make things work. You know what I mean? Everybody's hands are different. And what works works for one person is not going to work for another. And that's the same thing with picking. You know, I've watched all the fastest pickers in the world, and they all do it differently. They all hold their hands differently, whether they're closed-fisted, open fingers, uh, coming in from underneath the side of the guitar or the top or whatever. You know what I mean? Everybody does it different. And I've looked at all those guys, and but the, as far as picking goes, most of them have one thing in common. They're not flicking any of the joints in their fingers or thumb. It's all wrist or combination of elbow or some sort not joint movement in their in their fingers um now there are some guys that do that flicking the thumb technique but i don't know that's almost like well you're only going to be able to play as fast as you can flick your thumb um if that's important to you you know to play fast you know some players it's not i mean you know it wasn't bb king's bag but nobody gave him crap about it right <laughs> that's right you never hear you never hear anybody going man bb king he plays with too much feeling bro and he doesn't ever play fast <laughs> 
Why is BB King all? He can only play slow, man. He can only <laughs> play slow. What is up with that? Yeah. That's and then he's BB's only got one feeling. He's only got that one feeling. Yeah, what, so one dimensional. I wish he'd play some ar sweep arpeggios sometimes, man. <laughs> Get out of that, that slow thing, man. What is that all about? Sounds yeah, like I, that sounds like an idea to to start trolling online just to just to stir yeah. people up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was. Hey, what's up with that guy? What's with blues players? They only play slow and bend notes in one pentatonic box. Jeez. Yeah. How boring. Yeah. <laughs> Droll. Right. Pardon me, sir. Might have more crumpet C. Yeah. <laughs> with um, I mean, one thing I've noticed a uh, lot reading online is um, and you and you mentioned just before about sort of really enjoying that learning process and, and taking in information and, and that incremental progress of just getting better. Um, and you mentioned sort of being self-taught, but from what I can see, there seems to be a mixture of you sort of self doing the self-taught, but also taking on some formal education down the track as well to build up your skills. What, sure, what's I, been more beneficial for you? Um, well, I, you know, all the work that I did at home, is what really made me the guitar player that I am. Um, I, the only thing I really had studied formally is I took music theory. Uh, I took a year of it in high school. And then when I got into college, I took music fundamentals as a brush up course, because it had been two years since I'd taken music theory one. And, um, and then the next semester, they were only offering theory one at 7 a.m. And I know myself too well. And I was like, man, I'm not gonna make that class. <laughs> so that's pretty much the extent of my schooling. I've taken theory one. Um, and I mean, that's helped me out tremendously, um, as far as my knowledge of music and harmony and things like that goes. But I mean, I, dude, I've got a lot of my harmony and theory from, um, you know, initially in the beginning, it was metal method. Um, Doug Marks had a great theory lesson, uh, or a theory program. Uh, and then, you know, I studied, uh, you know, Don Mox stuff and Frank Gambale and Scott Henderson and, you know, all the fusion type theory, you know, that gives you the understanding of how chord scales and melody harmony works and, you know, substitutions and, and, you know, you know, every seventh chord has contains two triads and things like that. And, you know, how to superimpose, uh, like if you play C major seven over a minor seven, you get a minor nine, you know, things like that. I got that from just studying, watching instructional videos and, and buying instructional books and things like that. And the chops thing that just comes from me at home, busting my ass practicing as much as I could. You know, just being inspired by all the great guitar players. I grew up in a great time, man. Uh, I grew up in the, sh the heyday of Shrapnel Records. Mm. And, you know, in that whole era in general, you know, everybody played great. Even the guitar players that at the time I thought sucked, you know, and I and I, I hate saying that because I don't like to I don't like to think that anybody sucks. I think that just people are different. But, you know, at my mindset at that age, I was like, oh, that guy sucks, you know. Right. So but looking back, I was, you know. It's like, wow, that dude was really pretty badass. It's just my standards of what I thought was good was, you know, Ingvay and Paul Gilbert and Steve Vai and, you know, the whole shrapnel catalog, you know, um, you know, that's what I was going for. And I don't know. Um, did I answer? I think I meandered around that question. Did I? No, I, no, it's fine. I mean, it's, I mean, we're just, uh, this is podcasting, so it's pretty much uh, going off on, on any tangent. But it's like, yeah. I think, I think the big thing about it is like, I'm always fascinated with, just the 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 passion just for learning things and just for taking in information and I think that's something that appears to be a real important um, aspect of, of of you and, and what you're all about. Um, so yeah, I like yeah yeah I like to know you know what I mean. I want to know what 
everybody's doing. I wanted, you know, I decided a long time ago what direction I wanted to go. But, you know, before that, I was really torn. There was a time when I was in high school that I didn't know if I wanted to be a classical conductor or a jazz musician. You know what I mean? I was so torn between all these great styles of music. And it was just like a, it was just like overwhelming. You know, it was this 15 year old kid that discovered guitar and, and music all of a sudden became everything. And there's, and I listened to everything because I was, the guitar players at that time were, were very knowledgeable of other styles of music. That, I mean, I wouldn't have listened to classical music if it wasn't for, you know, reading that Randy Rhodes and Eddie Van Halen and Ingve and Michael Schenker and guys like that listened to classical. So that made me seek out that, you know, the biggest thing that I always learned was, the, you know, when your guitar heroes are talking, listen to what they're saying and then go follow up on it. You know, if they're telling you that these guys were their influences, well, go listen to those guys. And if they tell you they're listening to this, well, go listen to that and see if you can make the connection of what they got from that and how it impacted their playing and see what you can get out of it, you know. Um, so I've always wanted to know, you know, um, I can't, you know, I, I tell my students all the time, not knowing music theory is a frightening thing to me. I can't imagine going into something completely blind and not having a clue as to what I'm going to do and just just play exclusively by my ear, hoping that the next note's going to be the right note, you know. You can always tell a guy that doesn't know theory, you go to an open you know, go to an open mic and it'll take the guitar player like four to eight bars to find the key or, or, you know, where the, where it needs to be. You know, it's like, if you know what you're talking about or know a little bit about music theory, at least you can say, Hey, what key are we in? What's the changes? Cool. Got it. I at least know what notes are going to work and what notes are not going to work. So whether I play well or not <laughs> within that, uh, uh, framework is, is another thing, but you know, at least I know what to do, you know, that makes me a lot more comfortable. It's like imagine being dropped off in the middle of the night out in the middle of nowhere and saying, oh, hey, find your way home. You know, <laughs> if you don't starve to death or get eaten by wild animals, you know, you might eventually get there. But if you had a cell phone and some GPS, you get there a hell of a lot faster. You know, that's like knowing music theory or imagine, you know, not being able to read the, you know, whatever language it is that you speak. Right. And then trying to communicate with people. You couldn't tell somebody directions because you can't read street signs. You can't you don't know what restaurant you want to go eat at because you don't know what the hell the sign says in front of the building. You can't read the menu, so you don't know what's on it. Hey, you got a menu with pictures? You know? <laughs> so um that's what not knowing theory would be like to me. It's always terrifying. I can't imagine going into something just Yeah, like not having a clue as to what to do and why it works. Certainly it's been a learning process for me, uh, obviously, but you know, um, I've always been really into just studying that stuff. I'm, I would sit and read books. And when I was in high school, I would take my metal method books to school with me and stick them inside my school books to sit in the back <laughs> of the class. And that, my teacher thinking that I was, you know, actually being studious. Um, now, kids at home, don't do that. You know, make sure you make your grades. But, you know, don't do what I did, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. You know, I. You know, I took a theory class uh, when I took fundamentals in uh, college, you know, because that was the precursor to theory one, you know what I mean, which would never ended up happening. But I was in a band at the time and the other guitar player, we took fundamentals together and we'd go to rehearsal at night. And he'd be trying to play, you know, scale X over whatever key. And I'd be going, dude, weren't you paying attention in class today? You know, and, and you see that a lot. Theory Guitar players that know theory and they know how to play guitar, but they don't know how to make the connection from theory to guitar. That's a strange thing to me as well, because I always would naturally anything that I would learn, I would go instantly put try to put it on the guitar, you know, because that's your instrument. Um, you know, so that always blew my mind. You know, how can you take that class and know that stuff and pass it? But then you pick up your guitar and you're playing the wrong scale in the wrong key. You know, I never could understand that fully. But anyway, it's just, you know.
it's kind of like um it's kind of like when you know people read a lot of books and i'm i'm certainly guilty of this where uh, i just love love learning lots of different things from different backgrounds different perspectives and it's sort of like knowledge isn't quite the power like like a lot of people say like knowledge is good to have yeah. but you've got to put it into action you've got to actually do something with it and i think oh, that absolutely. disconnect is is huge because a lot of people will just especially now with like the internet and and the way we consume media all the time, we're just con- constantly consuming, but we're not really doing anything with it. And no. It just becomes noise. No. And what it is, it's really it's 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 desensitization, and it's also very much what I call short attention span theater. Mm. And I'll give you a good example of this. Um, you know, I would have people that would, I would run into fans, you know, and they would profess to be, you know, my, my biggest. They were my I was their favorite guitar player, guitar hero, and they were their biggest fans in the world or whatever. And then they would go, oh, hey, you know, when are you putting out a new Outworld album or something like that? And I'd go, well, dude, I haven't been in Outworld in like 10 years. <laughs> you know, it's like, how can you be profess to be a huge fan? And when I have that stuff flashing as big and bold, like, as, you know, strobe lights <laughs> on my website or on my social media going, hey, this is what I'm doing now. Look, check it out. Listen, and people not see that. That's a great example of short attention span theater. The, you know, they, I think people just skim the surface and don't even really, you know, it's like, oh, okay, cool, click, okay, cool, click, whatever. You know, it's, it's like an information overload in which that's not a good thing because then, you know, people aren't really picking anything up. You know? It's true. And it's a, it's a constant struggle. I mean, I, I find myself falling into that hole quite often because you just get this thirst of like just wanting to just digest as much as you can because it's it's exciting in a way because you just keep there's always something new to look at and something to listen to or or read and and then before you know it you sort of look back and go i don't actually know what i've taken in like it's all gone in one ear ear out the other yeah i think it's like you know for me when when i was learning how to play guitar and, and growing up you know people that grew up in my generation or whatever we were starved for information about our favorite artists you know, I would go and buy the album or the cassette or whatever, and I would take it home and read all the liner notes. Mm. I wanted to know everything that said every word. You know, I wanted to know everything I could find out about my favorite guitar heroes. I'd read and scour every interview and, you know, just study and absorb that stuff. And now with the Internet, there's so much information. Nobody's picking up, really latching on to anything. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, great. You can go download one song off some person's album. You know, how are you going to truly know that person as an artist if you're only downloading a song here or there? And you got to buy the whole thing, listen to it, digest it, consume it. You know what I mean? Really get into it and listen to it. You know, we didn't have any choice, you know, and that was a good thing, really, to be honest. You know, because then you got to know, you know, if you didn't, you know, imagine if you would have bought Blizzard of Oz or Diary of a Madman or were just bought, you know, Crazy Train and didn't listen to the rest of the Blizzard of Oz. <laughs> That's right. You know, Out of context. What in the world? Yeah, what a narrow view you would have had of what that amazing group had done, you know. Um, so, you know, I think I think that that needs to be addressed, you know. Or, I don't know, that's just my perspective, you know. I think it's important to know, you know, who it is that you like and what they're doing and, and their catalog, you know. But that's just me. I'm old-fashioned, you know. I think there's a lot. I want the whole thing. I still want to hold it in my hands. Yeah, the tangible, the the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm the the same. I'm the same. And and luckily, I I got the tail end of of that era of just you know pre-internet and only having so much money that you could buy one album and that's about it. And and so you were forced to, especially if you 
you know, you didn't quite like it on that first listen. You're like, oh, damn. Mm-hmm. Like, I've just, yeah. I've, what I've felt is I've wasted money and now you're forced to have to like it. And then eventually it clicks and you go, oh, my God. Like, I've realized. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Now yeah. it makes sense. You yeah. I, I had that happen a lot with albums. I'd buy a new album by somebody and I'd get it and go, eh, whatever, and chunk, you know. And then, like, a year later, I'd get it back out and go, oh, shit, I get it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That just happened to me recently with Gojira. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd heard of Gojira for a long time, and I bought one of their albums. I think it was, I think it was called Magma, maybe. Mm. Um, and I bought the album, and I had it for about a year, and I just put it in, and I didn't get it. You know what I mean? And I was sitting here earlier this year with my son listening to it, and it was just like, man, it just hit me like a 10-ton heavy thing. And it's <laughs> like, oh, my God, these guys are amazing. They're, and, and they really are. I love Gojira now. Um, they, uh, they're a great band, and they go – places that are unconventional and you know that's very bold you know what i mean they're going and doing different things they don't they don't just fit in the genre of metal with all the other metal bands that are out there now they they are doing something new and unique and um that's pretty hard to do these days or or being courageous enough to do that you know and stand behind it it's it's easy to jump in on the trends and just go sound like everybody else you know because you're just trying to you know do whatever make a buck you know but it's it's uh it's much more gratifying in in the, in the long run to just do your own thing you know don't follow somebody else's path you know um, it's cool to be inspired and influenced just don't wear it on your sleeve you well I think I, mean? it's, I think it's inspiring just to just to watch other people make that attempt to to go outside the box and and do something new yeah. and and take a risk you know and just see where it goes yeah. and yeah something unconventional is um it inspires other people to to think, well, maybe I can take a risk in my own world and, and see what I can do. Yep, absolutely. You know, I mean, when I, you know, from the beginning, I, you know, I, I didn't pick up the guitar to play other people's music. You know, I always knew that, you know, I'm going to pick up the guitar. I want to be in a band. I want to write and put out records. You know, I, that from the beginning, you know, day one, you know, that was always my intention. You know, I've always been very focused driven like that with anything that I've done in my life. And, you know, I, I come from a motocross racing background when I was, old enough to get on a dirt bike that my parents and brothers had me on one because they were already racing and stuff. And I did that and raced BMX. And, you know, that's what, you know, I would probably have been retired from right now, professional motocross racer, but, um, things changed in my teens. Um, my dad got tired of racing. He'd done it. I was the last kid, you know, and he'd already <laughs> done it for my big brothers and he just stopped taking me and I would race with my brother when he would take me when I when he could. And, um, I finally got upset with my dad and I said, all right, fine. I'm selling all this crap. And I sold my, all my dirt bike and all my gear and stuff. And I bought a new guitar and he swore for years that he wishes that he would have bought me that new guitar, uh, dirt bike. You know? <laughs> I, I can still, I still hear my dad's uh, famous words echoing down the hallway in our old house. Can't you do anything besides strangle that thing? You know? <laughs> my guitar playing he's like i don't understand what you're doing but i appreciate your dedication yeah <laughs> good on you <laughs> i remember i he had me out in the yard one day working on the painting the fence or some crap and and i had flexible left you know see vice flexible album playing and it was like call it sleep or something it was a real weird whammy bar stuff you know what i mean my dad was like oh jesus christ i can play guitar better than that it's like, <laughs> you know, my dad was in a chet atkins that's the one thing that i got from that for sure is my listening to there's great country guitar players out there man brent mason scotty anderson you know chet jerry reed some phenomenal guys but most people don't know about that you know you talk to a guitar player and like go 
a rock guitar player, you go, oh, you like country too? And what country? So I'm like, like, whoa, ease up, bro. I'm not talking about commercial country on the radio. I mean, there is great country. You know, there's, regardless of what genre of music you play in, there are badasses in every style of music. Yeah. You know, you just have to do the, you have, you got to research it and find it. You know, you got to seek it out. It's not always going to be on the surface. Because usually badass musicians are not the ones that are on the surface because it's usually, you know, commercial stuff, pop stuff or whatever, pop country or whatever you want to call it, you know, top 40. Um, so you have to search. And usually if there are badass musicians playing in those bands, they're not playing anything that would strike you as like, whoa, dude, I want to go learn that. You know, it's always the, at least for me, you know what I mean? I always, it was always the, you know, hearing somebody tearing it up. It was like, you know, you know, I mean, I didn't listen to Prince until I heard the end of, uh, what is it? When Doves Cry, hmm. when he busts that, yep. that little outro solo. I was like, holy shit, this dude can play guitar. Let me check that out. <laughs> you know, I was actually, I was in a record store in high school. You know, they used to have these things called record stores where you go buy albums oh, and shit. Oh, well, yeah. Those <laughs> things of the past, you know what I mean? I don't, uh, today's generation doesn't know what that is. Um, that's okay. Um, they've got iTunes. Um, so anyway, I was standing in this record store in, in high school and that popped on the end of Dove, When Doves Cry. And I was like, holy shit, Prince can play the fuck out of guitar, man. So that's a good example of, you know, a great musician, um, but just going a different direction. His own, obviously his own direction for sure. There was only one Prince, you know. Well, that's it. It also gives you, you know, that opportunity to, to progress as your own player because you're getting to see other styles and other ways of approaching the same instrument. And then, and then obviously extending from there and looking at, different instruments or different ways of communicating through music. And that, that makes you a more well-rounded and unique player in your own right as well. So it's, it's good to be inspired on a number of levels outside of your own, you know, comfort, uh, comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I was, you know, I've been working on some Brent Mason stuff lately, you know, that dude's a phenomenal guitar player. Have you heard of, no, have you heard of Brent? I don't think so. Uh, he's a he's a big Nashville guy. Um, uh, I don't generally listen to country music, but I listen to country guitar players. You know mm. what I mean in those situations. So he's been on probably you know the majority of country albums that come out of Nashville in the last twenty years. He's a big session guy, kind of like Steve Lukather used to be before Toto yeah. took off. He was like the top set, one of the top session guys in L.A. Well, they have those same type of guys, but in, in Nashville, and Brent's one of them. Um, he's got an album called Hotwired. Um, it's just all instrumental country guitar stuff, man. It's, it's crazy. It's kind of like the Hellcasters. Have you ever heard the Hellcasters? John I, Jorgensen, yeah. Ray, and um, Jerry Donahue. Um, it's kind of like that, but a little bit more intense, actually. Um, and then, like, Scotty Anderson. Have you heard of that guy? No, no. Dude, Scotty Anderson's this country guitar player. He plays with a thumb pick and his two fingers on his right hand. And he can do, like, double and triple stop runs as fast as Malmsteen. On wow. On a clean telly with impression. You know what I mean? It's just, like, insane. Dude, um, check him out if you get a chance. Well, He's got a few records. I've just scribbled it down, so I've got some homework to do after after we get off this call. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah there's great stuff, man. And uh, you know, you know, it's just like uh, imagine, you know, you know, when somebody says like, "Oh, go check out classical music," you know, that classical is such a huge, vast thing. You know what I mean? You can't just tell somebody to go check out classical. Mm. And expect them to actually actually find something cool on the first go. You know what I mean? I mean, because you know, you could go check out classical, and you might pull up some elevator music. Yeah, yeah. you know, or something you hear when you're on hold. Mm -hmm. But if you're a guitar player and you're telling somebody to go listen to classical, and you go, "Hey, man, go check out the Twenty Four Caprices." 
you know, or something like that, then you're going to be on the right track. So you've got to know. I mean, that's just like imagine never hearing rock and roll ever. And then think about the vastness of rock and roll. I mean, we've got things all the way back to Elvis Presley and Giant Chuck Berry and um, the original blues guys, uh, you know, all the way up to modern death metal or death core or mm. crab or Nintendo core or whatever <laughs> you want to call it. Man. So, I mean, there's so many different genres of, of just rock. That's right. You know, because that's all a, that's all an offshoot of rock, you know, rock and the blues, you know. I mean, rock and country are offshoots of the blues, really. You know, um, so that's it's a huge subject. You know, I mean, you might be listening to, I don't know, Bo Diddley and then, you know, pop on a Slayer album. You know, yeah. it's such a diverse, uh, extreme you know, difference, you know, Buddy Holly, you know. Well, that's what makes it so reckless to, to just go and say to somebody, you know, go and check out rock music. And yeah, and just right. and just let them go into into the universe and and just cross yeah. your fingers that they find something that makes sense right. for them. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> that's that's exactly right. That's 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 almost that's I mean that's pretty humorous, really. Yeah. You know, hey, man, go check out this new style of music called rock. Check it out. <laughs> just do some research. See if you can find something you like. Yeah, I came back with Elvis Presley and uh, yeah and uh, Behemoth or something like that. It's like, oh, geez, yeah, okay. right. Wow. Yeah, All there right. you go. <laughs> Sepultura in there, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty funny. That's it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's just like, you know, when I first heard Metallica, I had never heard of Motorhead hmm. or, or yeah. Diamond Head. And, you know, looking back now, you know, at the time I thought Metallica, you know, and this is not to take anything away from Metallica in any way, shape or form. But at the time I thought, man, dude, these guys, I've never heard any music like this ever in my life. Hmm. You know, but then later on looking back, I can listen to Diamond Head and, and Motorhead now and go, wow, I can hear where they got some of that stuff from. For sure. You know what I mean, I can, I can hear the influences, you know, which I didn't, you know, you know, I'd never heard those bands. So I was just, it was like the most amazing thing in the world, you know. I was, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be in a band that wrote songs like Metallica and soloed like Yngwie. Nice. That's my goal. Yeah, earlier you were asking me about, you know, uh, you're talking to me about teaching. Hmm. Um, I don't know if I addressed all the things you were asking about, like, you know, what do I do? What what happens when I sit with an experienced guitar player, a professional guitar player? Um, you know, I think to answer that question fully, it's, it's, it's really a mixture of all of those things. There are... You know, just, you know, I think some of the best lessons I've ever taught, there were no notes played in those lessons. You know I mean, it's just the information that you receive is more valuable than, hey, here's a new lick or a new scale or arpeggio or whatever. You know, it's that information that you get and what you do with it. That's the value. You know, talking to somebody about technique and form and theory or and harmony and stuff like that, you know, that, that information will go a long way um, if you take it and, and work it, you know. Um, so I think there's there's a lot of that, and then you know analyzing form and technique, and you know just you know sometimes it's just talking about you know because I, I I kind of look at myself from a teaching standpoint. It's not just a teacher, a mentor, a guru, a coach, you know, trainer, all that stuff in one. So we can talk about anything from developing your career or developing a following to how to set up your gear for studio versus live versus at home practicing or you know anything and everything in in the regards in regards to guitar playing from career to practicing and, and all that stuff, you know, learning how to practice is, is tremendously important, you know, because if you don't know how to practice, then you can meander around for years and not get anywhere. You know, I've had guys that come take lessons for me that have been playing for 20 years and have a kid that's been playing for two years. that smokes the dude that's been playing for 20 years. It's <laughs> what, what you do with the time that you have. Yeah. It's like, I'll, 
I was thinking to myself, dude, you've been playing for 20 years, bro? What have you been doing? Oh, I've been playing some Ted Nugent songs, man. I don't know. <laughs> so, you know. I think it's important to give that context, isn't it? Like to, to be able to explain things and put it into, put the pieces of the puzzle together. And so for people on the outside, they, they don't understand that they're missing a piece to begin with. And so right. you can, you yeah. can identify it and say, well, what you're doing here is fine. However, in, in a, in a, in, a, in the grander scheme of things, um, yeah. you know, adding these elements or, or thinking about it from this perspective is going to make a, a world of difference. So as you said before, just that, that tiny little adjustment could make all the difference in a technique, but even a mindset perspective. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just again, what you don't know, you don't know, you know what I mean? So you don't know you're missing something, hmm. you know, um, you know, that's, that's the tricky part of it. You know, you know, if you don't know, you just don't know. Thank God for the internet nowadays, right? No, that's so right. People can pay attention long enough to actually learn something. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You've, you, the, the tools are there, but uh, it's the ability to use the tools properly is, uh, is what counts. Yeah, I think it's one of the most difficult things that I've had adju adjusting to um, is the fact that you have to do everything now. You have to not just be a good guitar player. You've got to know how to record and produce. You've got to know how to shoot videos. You've got to be up on social media and media and how to promote yourself. There's so much, you know, I, I grew up in the time where it's like, I just write the music and I go to a studio and somebody does that for me hmm. and we re release an album or whatever, you know, now you have to do everything. And that's, that's one of the things, you know, I, I was fought that like tooth and nails. Like, man, I just want to play guitar. Damn it. I don't want to spend time learning how to use pro tools and whatever, you know, and programming drums shit you know but uh you know I've, I've given into it now and I'm, I'm working on my skills i'm honing them as you know as we speak still to this day you know learning how to you know do all my stuff myself well it's taking that same approach isn't it that when you know start out in guitar and you learn as you go and you you develop and progress and now it's doing it with a with a new skill set and, and building on that yeah it's just the part that frustrates me the most about it is is that it's like man i could be spending this time practicing yeah. <laughs> you know, it's taken away from my guitar playing, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, that would always irk me the most, but it's like, you know, realistically, um, if I could take my own advice that I'm about to give, um, that would be great. But, you know, if you just spend a weekend or a week just diving into whatever recording software, DAW you have or whatever, it's really not that hard. You know what I mean? You know, there's plenty of online tutorials and, and things like that and just about every question you could ever ask somebody's made a video with the answer in it or something like that you just have to you have to be you know you got to be committed and spend the time to do it and that's something that i fought you know so like, i don't want to do this and but it's come to the point where it's like well i have to do this you know so now i've got to you know i just got to conform you know conform or be cast out so to speak like <laughs> the great philosopher neil Peart once said <laughs> well i think um you know Having having the the additional skills opens up new possibilities as well, and, and enables you to to be more versatile and and be able to create additional opportunities down the track as well. So you know, looking at from that uh, glass half full perspective, it's um yeah, it's, it's a absolutely good thing. because there'd be there'd be many times I'd be in the studio and I could hear something in my head, but I couldn't communicate to the producer mm, or yeah. what I was trying to do, and it's like, well, just let me over there, man. You know, you try to turn some of these down stuff you know and figure it out but the cool thing is you can sit at home now in your own home studio and and if you got the recording software and stuff like that you can really sit and experiment and really find yourself uh in in your music because it's just you you know what i mean you don't have to rely on anybody else that's total self-sufficiency and that's a that's a beautiful thing 
the uh, concept and the idea and the reality of not having to rely on anyone else to get anything done. Because if, if, if everybody I worked with worked at my pace, you know, I'd have like 20 of my own albums out, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's not always been the case. I've always had to rely on other people. Yeah. Um, wait for them to get the parts down and then go to the studio and record their stuff so I could then go on and record. And you know, things would take way, have taken way too long, man, for, for me. But uh, that's why I'm trying to get, you know, all this stuff down so I can just do it. You know what I mean? If you know what, you can just come in here and you turn it on and you go. The biggest problem I had forever was coming in here and turning, trying to turn it on and learn what to do. And then by the time I got everything figured out, it's like, oh, I'm not even inspired to play guitar anymore. I'm pissed off now. Oh, you know yeah, that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, from a guitar point of view, you know, you've shared in in this chat, but also, you know, um, over the years, all of the different guitarists that have inspired you, not just in sort of the metal and rock space, but outside of that as well. But are there people that sort of have inspired you from a mindset and a, a work ethic perspective that are just completely outside the music world or people that sort of, because I know that you also, oh, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, but um, in more recent years sort of got into bodybuilding and things like that. Um, are there people sort of outside of music altogether that just sort of get you, get you going from an inspiration perspective? Yeah, for sure, man. I've always been um, big into like, you know, self-help books and, and things like that. I've been reading that kind of stuff since I was in high school. Not any one particular author. I mean, somebody that I, you know, I mean, I read, you know, in, in the early years, you know, um, you know, Think and Grow Rich and Millionaire Mind and, and the richest man in Babylon, all the way up to what is it? Uh, something for the soul, chicken soup for the soul, or something like that. Jack Canfield, and you know, that stuff is very inspiring and it keeps me driven. You know what I mean? And it gives, and it puts gives puts you into perspective with what's really going on in your life and how to think about what you're doing and makes you look at what you're doing. You know, you might be upset with somebody else, and it might be actually you that you need to take a look at and make an adjustment. You know. Mm -hmm. You might be the problem and not the other person, you know, um, you know, things like that keep me very inspired and motivated. And, and you know, I was lucky enough to um, right when I was starting to work out, um, you know, I met this guy, this guy, Lee Labrada, former Mr. Universe, calls me up and he's looking for guitar lessons. Wow. Perfect. So he's like, he's like, is this the Rusty Cooley? And I'm like, is this the Lee Labrada? You know, <laughs> we were both like fanboying on each other. So it was cool. And um, so we, me and Lee have been great friends through the years and you know, I've had the pleasure of knowing him and, and calling him a friend and uh, he's been a huge inspiration. Was, you know, I look at Lee and it's like every aspect of his life is success. Everything he's done, you know, from being a professional bodybuilder to being a CEO or whatever, his own company and his own nutrition line to anything that he does, he's been successful at it. He's a great guitar player too. You know, I taught him for a long time and uh, he's got two records out now. Amazing. Um, yeah, he's got uh, Corey Glover from Living Color playing on one of the songs, and Paul Pesco, who's on, uh, I think Paul played with Madonna, wow. and he also played on a lot of stuff that, that I don't know of, but uh, he's also on Daryl's House, that show with Daryl Hall. Mm. Incredible. It's a live show, or it's not, I think it's a live show, it's on TV cable somewhere, um, but uh, so he's playing with these guys and um, doing that, so he's been a huge inspiration, and just successful people. And I, I'm a sucker for success stories, mm. you know, seeing the underdog come up and then succeed and just push through and, and, and take it, you know, that's always inspiring to me, you know, just seeing people fight through the trenches to get where they want and do it because that's what they, they, you know, do it because that's what they do. They don't have anything, you know, it's not that they don't have anything else to do, but you do what you do because that's, you know, you have to do it. I mean, I mean, a small example of that would be, you know, like, when I was writing my instrumental album, I was raising 
um, two kids at the same time and taking care of them and teaching and then rehearsing four or five nights a week and things like that. And it's like, people will be like, dude, how can you play guitar and do all that stuff? And it's like, I don't know, dude, you just do, I just do, you know, you have to, if it's something you want, you figure it out. You'll find make a way. a way, find a time. Yeah. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I, another example is like when, I, when my, each one of my kids were born, I never treated it, the house any differently. Meaning I still practiced at night, you know, at a reasonable level, you know, I'm like cranking it up in the middle of the night. Um, you know, because a, a newborn would adjust to its in, to, to its environment. So if that's what they know, that's what they know. But if you, you know, I'd have guys come into lessons go, dude, I can't play now at night. I don't know what to do because I'll wake the baby. And it's like, dude, you don't have to treat it like that. You know, the baby will adjust. You know, again, I'm not saying that you're cranking the hit up, but I mean, you can play <laughs> it volume on amp and still practice with your kid in the room next door or whatever and not disturb them. You know, um, so that's an, uh, you know, I would. I practice every minute of the day that I could find uh, a free moment, you know, but uh, I never understood that whole thing. But oh, I can't play. We got a baby in the house. Sure you can do. Just get in and crank that shit up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think it's one of those, it's a mindset thing, isn't it? And I think we, we yeah. want to find an excuse to, for a lack of better term, be lazy, you know, um, and sort of steer clear of, of the, the pain of working hard and grinding it out to, to get better. And it's, it's hard work, you know, anything that you want yeah. to do and be good at, you've got to put the time in. And for a lot of people, it, that's a big turnoff because yeah. you, know, you want the glory straight away without putting the, yeah. the hard yards in. So I think people right. find a reason to justify their, uh, that lack of drive to, to get better. Right. I think it's, you know, it's, it's, everybody wants that instant gratification. I want it now. Mm. And then when they find out, it's like when Guitar Hero was popular, dude, everybody came in <laughs> just because they were good at Guitar Hero, they were going to be a real Guitar Hero. It's funny. I, people would ask me, you know, hey, dude, do you play Guitar Hero? And it's like, no, dude, I suck at that. I'm actually a real Guitar Hero. <laughs> you know, like, you know, um, spend some time playing the instrument, you know, and you'll get good. There's no cheat codes for guitar, really. You know what I mean? You actually have to put the time in. I mean, if half the kids that spent that much time playing Guitar Hero, spent that much time playing real guitar, they might be a real guitar hero. That's right. That's and, right. <laughs> I feel like sometimes for myself, and this might be applied to other people, I feel like when I have less time, I'm more productive because mm. I take advantage of every moment I have. Definitely. I find when I have a lot of free time, then I'm like, oh, well, I can do that later. Yeah. <laughs> you know, And then it ends up not getting done. So I think sometimes when you're strapped for time and you've got more responsibilities and things that have to get done, then you take you you really appreciate that moment that you have in that time. You know what I mean? Like, dude, I got to get in there and practice. You know what I mean? Um, whereas if you have all the time in the world, then you're like, well, what's the rush? You know, sometimes right. you know you procrastinate. Uh, now the other the thing I was going to mention, we were talking about motivational books. Here's where I made a, the connection. Um, I was sitting at a friend of mine's house, and on his coffee table, he had the book by Bruce Lee, The Tao of Jeet Kune Do, mm. and I picked it up and started looking through the the preface. And within a few turns of pages, the, everything that he was saying was the exact same philosophy and mindset that I used for guitar. It was like, it was just like instant connection. And what I've discovered through the years is that anybody, no matter what field of endeavor that you're in, and I've discovered this firsthand experience, all of the most successful people that I know, Regardless of what what they do, they've all done it with the same mindset and same drive and dedication and commitment, you know. And I think it's people like that that no matter what they would do in life, chosen path would be they would be successful at it because they have that drive and that just that 
understanding, I suppose, if you will, to, to how to get it done. It's like when I was talking to Lee when I first started teaching him, the same thing he would he did to become a world class athlete, Mr. Universe, was the same way I would practice guitar. You know, we would do the same things. You know, um, and I, when I discovered the thing looking through the Bruce Lee book, I then went and bought a book by Chuck Norris's autobiography mm. and, and read that. And so I started picking up more books by successful people just in general, their biographies and things like that. And, you know, just, you know, it's the connection is, is the same. You know, everybody that's successful has done the same thing, pretty much the same work ethic, you know. Yeah, that's right. It, de the dedication, put the hours in, put the time in and uh, you just got to keep showing up. Even if it, even if you're not inspired that day or not motivated, you yeah. just got to, they're the days that count. They're the days that are probably the most important because if you can get through yeah. those days, then everything else is a yeah. breeze. Yeah, absolutely, man. I've had some of my best rehearsals with bands on those kind of days or when I was sick and didn't want to go. It's like, I remember, uh, you know, with the Metal Method stuff, Doug Marks, you know, I was talking about that earlier. Doug, the beautiful thing about Doug was, or is, is that he's not only a great guitar teacher, but he's a great motivator. Um, and he knows how to get things done and knows how to inspire people, at least me. Um, and he's obviously done a good job of inspiring lots of other people as well, because he's still doing great in business. Um, but that, that was huge to me, you know, just, you know, having that coaching, you know. I mean, I used to put those Metal Method cassettes in, in my headphones and I had a cassette player that would flip the tape, right, when it was done on one yep. side. <laughs> So I'd sleep with those running in my headphones all night long, you know what I mean? So it's pounding that shit into my brain, you know, just, you know, I was submersed in it. You know, when you want something, you just got to go for it, dude. Absolutely. You know, there was no backup plan for me, you know. Uh, the, my mindset then was, you know, the backup plan is just preparing yourself to fail. Yeah. Why do I want to spend time working on what I'm going to do when I'm not going to, when I don't make it what I do want to do, hmm. you know. So... It was always this or nothing, man. It's, you know, here it is, playing guitar and figure out a way to make it uh, or be out digging ditches or something. The non-negotiable. Just got to make it. It's a do or yep. die sort of mentality. Just got to dive yep. in there and make it make it count. Yep. yep. It's going to happen. It's got to happen, you know. And and making it, that's that's different in everybody's eyes. You know what I mean? What does making it actually mean, you know? When I was a kid, making it meant, you know, being on tour every day and selling big records and being a quote rock star. Um, but I think anybody that's can make a living making music is successful. Absolutely. It's, I think it's inspiring for me to just to listen to you sort of reflect on a lot of this stuff and, and also to see, you know, how much you've put in over the years to, to get to where you are now. And, and I think you nailed it when you just, just said before, like, I think if you're able to do what you love as a full-time gig, you know, to be able to earn a living and, and immerse yourself in that, then, I mean, geez, that's success. I mean, anything on top of that's is 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 cream on the cake, so to speak. It's um, yeah, you know. So I you're you've done it and you're doing it, um, and which is which yeah. is super cool. So that uh, that do or die or non non negotiable sort of perspective in the yeah. beginning, um, it it's it's paid off and continues to pay off for you, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, and it hasn't always been easy. That's for damn sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's been some it's been some really low times through the years, you know. With, with the music industry and stuff, but you know, there's been a couple of times where I thought, man, am I going to have to go get a real job? <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, but thank God, knock on wood, I've never had to actually go do that. I'm going to dump a whole bunch of links in the uh, show notes for this episode so people can check out Dave Reckoning, check out all of your stuff, go down the rabbit hole of Rusty Cooley. Um, there you go. But is there anywhere that um, you prefer people to be directed or just to, to the main website and go from there? 
Um, actually, probably, you know, probably the best place to keep up with the most current things would be my Instagram page. Yeah. Uh, um, which I, I'm, I'm just going to sit here and go, what is my Instagram page? <laughs> I think it's Rusty <laughs> Official. I'm so bad with that stuff. Um, yeah, it's Rusty Cooley Official. And then my, my personal or, or fan page on Facebook, which is just Rusty Cooley One or Rusty Cooley Official as well. Sounds good. Uh, my website is out of date. And if there's anybody out there that wants to trade, uh, like for guitar lessons, Skype lessons, uh, to build me a new website, I'm totally down for that. Hey, yeah. I like it. So, Here's a call to action, folks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Help. I need some help, man. I need a new website. And, <laughs> cool. Uh, I'd like barter for lessons. Hey, well, let's... But let's... yeah, that's, that's the best place to find me or my YouTube channel. I mean, my YouTube channel doesn't really have what's currently going on. It just has all the videos and stuff like hmm. that. But yeah, that, that that's the most direct place at the moment, you know, Instagram and, and Facebook. Sounds good. Well, I'll, I'll dump everything in there and so people can get the, the full experience and, and learn all about uh, you or, or rediscover as well. I mean, I was one of those people that um, certainly have known about you for, for many years and, and seen bits and pieces over the years come and, come and go, but um, never sort of until recently sort of sat back and looked at everything and went, wow, you've, um, you've done a lot and you continue to do a lot yeah. and uh, you're just one busy guy, which is, which is super cool. It's really inspiring. Thank you. Thank you very much, man. Appreciate you having me on the show. Hey, if you want to reach out to Rusty, you can go to rustycooley.com or you can go to dayofreckoning.bandcamp.com and check out their latest release, Spread Your Disease. As always, everything will be in the show notes over at andysocial.net and andydowling.net. And by all means, please reach out to Rusty if you enjoyed this chat. I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. Send him some positive vibes, a bit of Andy social love. and Everyone that's been on this podcast over the past several years have been so many amazing people, so many amazing stories, and just the fact that they've given up so much of their time. If you enjoyed any of these amazing chats and got something out of it, you connected a little bit with these amazing guests, shoot them an email, shoot them a DM, leave a comment on the socials, spread a bit of that anti-social love there in their direction, and I'm sure they would absolutely love to hear from you. So before we wrap it up... Patreon, of course. Patreon.com slash Andy Dowling is the place to go to support this podcast. You can set and forget at a buck a month. Dirt cheap. You won't even notice it. And, of course, if you want to support a little bit more, you can get access to uh, an exclusive Patreon podcast every week that comes out Tuesday mornings, uh, Sydney time. And um, there's other cool little things, including a an old-school newsletter that uh, is mailed out every month into your little letterbox or PO box uh, around the world. So uh, lots of cool things in store. Lots of goals uh, being set, lots of plans for the future. So get behind it if you can. Uh, it's a massive help for this podcast. It covers a lot of the uh, the monthly costs of, of running a podcast. And more importantly, it just motivates the hell out of me to continue to improve this podcast and get it bigger and better each and every time. So thank you so much uh, to everybody that's been supporting, in particular, my social circle tier. These guys are the significant contributors to this podcast. So we've got Andrew from Perth, Mick G from Sydney, Ash from Deniloquin, Deniloquin, Ash, damn, Dan from Dapdo. We've got Rod from Rayleigh in North Carolina. We have Saul from Oxford in the UK, Patrick from Canberra, Liam from Brisbane, and Chris from Sydney. Thank you so much, guys, for supporting in my top tier, social circle tier. It's a massive, massive help. And uh, as I said, the most important thing is that it motivates me, all of you guys that get behind me on Patreon. It's absolutely huge. So there we go. Uh, next week's guest. Well, we've got another musician. I'm on a bit of a roll with Musos at the moment. So we've got another musician, uh, an international guest, and um, 
oh, what other hints can I give? Um, extreme metal. Yeah. So we're going, we're going a little bit more extreme and, um, uh, a front man as well. So, you know, he, not a, not, uh, not a guitarist or a bass player or, or a drummer. It's, it's a front man. And, um, I'll leave it at that. I mean, it could be anyone really. So, uh, until next week, take care. Thank you so much for the support and listening to me waffle on and, uh, ta-ta. Larry. Larry, please.